In the political fight for Florida, the focus this week was on women. I'm Tom Hudson. And I'm Melissa Ross from WJCT in Jacksonville. First, it was the release of the Trump tapes and then multiple accusations of sexual assault, including one by a Florida woman, all leveled against Republican presidential candidate Donald Trump. This is Decision Florida from WLRN in Miami and Florida Public Broadcasting. The claims of assault against Trump have also fueled concern about how they could impact the U.S. Senate race and several tight congressional races throughout the state. GOP Senator Marco Rubio continues to back Trump, but Tampa-area Republican Congressman David Jolly says he won't vote for Trump. We want to hear from you. Will the revelations about Trump, his language, and claims against him change how you vote in other races? 305-995-1800. Or use the hashtag DecisionFlorida. From WLRN Public Media in Miami and Florida Public Radio, this is Decision Florida. I'm Tom Hudson. And I'm Melissa Ross from WJCT in Jacksonville. Well, Melissa, this week, Florida politics has been spinning with tales of sexual assault, of course, leveled against Donald Trump. In a moment, we will hear how Sunshine State Republicans have been reacting. Yeah, not all the same reaction. And then later, women voters in Florida, how will they influence the ultimate outcome in this swing state? Will they split their votes on Election Day. We're going to take a closer look. And then disaster funding. Remember, uh, Hurricane Matthew was just one week ago, and how disaster funding is doled out. We'll take a look at the politics of that in the aftermath of the storm. But first this hour, some top Republicans continue to distance themselves from Donald Trump this week after a video emerged showing him making offensive and lewd comments about women and sexual assault. First, it was the remarks Trump made to former Access Hollywood host Billy Bush in 2005. Yeah, and then there were accusations, Melissa, from several women, including one here in Florida, that they were assaulted by Trump. The candidate and his campaign deny the claims. Now, this is Trump on Thursday in West Palm Beach. These false attacks are absolutely hurtful. To be lied about, to be slandered, to be smeared so publicly and before your family that you love is very painful. But Trump's words have cleaved Republicans here. Some running in close elections in Florida have said they won't vote for their own party's presidential nominee. Congressman David Jolly in the Tampa area is running against Democrat and former Governor Charlie Crist. Now here is Jolly on ABC Action News Tampa Bay. No candidate who boasts about sexual assault should be qualified to be president of the United States. In the race for the 26th Congressional District, meantime, that stretches from South Dade County down to Key West, Republican incumbent Carlos Corbello repeated his pledge Thursday night not to vote for his party's presidential nominee. I will not be voting for either of these two candidates because I believe that we deserve better and because I'm not going to vote for anyone that I think could do harm to our country. But Senator Marco Rubio remains a Trump voter. While he says he's critical of Donald Trump's comments, Rubio says he's going to stick by him because he does not want Hillary Clinton elected president. Yeah, uh, we've heard Donald Trump say these were just words. Several women say it was uh, the denial of his actions that led them to go public this week with their accusations. So has this past week changed your opinion about how you will vote in the U.S. Senate race or other contests that will appear on your Florida ballot in the weeks ahead? Here's our phone number from the peninsula to the panhandle, 305-995-1800, 305-995-1800, or on social media, use the hashtag DecisionFlorida. Yeah, Tom, we're already getting tweets at that Decision Florida hashtag. We're going to go to those in a moment. But right now we're joined by reporter David Bauerlein of the Florida Times Union here with me in Jacksonville. Sergio Bustos is with us via Skype. He's a senior editor with Politico. And from the Naples Daily News, Alexandra Glorioso also joining us to look at the so-called Trump effect here in Florida. Sergio Bustos, let's begin with you. Senator Marco Rubio, ahead of his opponent, Patrick Murphy, as he seeks to hold on to his Senate seat, and he is certainly the most prominent Republican in the state, sticking by Donald Trump. Is this a a safe path for Marco Rubio? Well, it really is the path he's been taking uh, since he got trounced by uh, Donald Trump in the uh, March 15th presidential primary. You may recall he lost all 66 of 67 counties. So ever since then, he's been walking a very tight political tightrope, uh, you know, to to not alienate Trump voters at the same time uh, drawing on his own popularity 
and incumbency in Florida. It's been a difficult one to do, but he has avoided campaigning with Trump, uh, but at the same time, not, uh, again, uh, criticizing him, except on certain occasions like he did last week. David, it's Tom Hudson. What what are the calculations involved for Senator Rubio in North Florida, where the Republican support and the Trump support has been strongest, according to polls? I think it would hurt him in North Florida if he were to come out against Trump. Uh, when the uh, Trump was here in uh, August and had a rally in Jacksonville, and it was a real who's who of Republican office holders. Mayor Lenny Curry was there. The former sheriff, John Rutherford, who's running for an open congressional seat, was there. There has not been any public pronouncements from Republican officials here repudiating what Trump said. So I think it would hurt him if he were to come out against Trump in Northeast Florida voters. And Alexandra Glorioso down in southwest Florida, that's a a Republican stronghold. Now, uh, up the uh, coast in Tampa, we see David Jolly uh, in a tough fight for election to Congress against now Democrat Charlie Crist. Jolly is really walking a fine line as he walks back support of Trump. What about Jolly's uh, fate and what about southwest Florida office holders? So I think in Southwest Florida, um, you know, Donald Trump and Marco Rubio are going to stay pretty safe. Um, From the point of view of our congressional race here, um, you know, our candidate Francis Rooney won his primary pretty easily, and he opened for Trump in a rally here. And he hasn't come out and said anything, um, to my knowledge, about Donald Trump since Mm -hmm. the videotapes. And I think that our Races here go pretty easily to conservatives. Um, You know, when you interview women um, in the area, their opinions and their voices range. And um, I don't know if you want me to get into that right now or if if you just want to. Alex, it's Tom. I'd like you to get into it because you spoke to a number of Republican women office holders in southwest Florida. And this gets right to the heart of of the demographic that's been responding, and that is a key demographic uh, in the state of Florida when it comes to Republican uh, support for Donald Trump being that female Republican support. Yeah, I mean, I think that I've talked to a number of women, um, you know, they were in my story that published on Sunday, but I've also talked to a number of women outside of that story. And, um, you know, even in places like Hillsborough um, and in, you know, Northeast Um, Florida and Duval County, and their voices kind of range. But I think that it really comes down to how partisan you are. And that's not really across typical ideological lines. It's not if you're a real conservative, you're going to back Donald Trump. You know, Donald Trump has set his own new lines in the party. And if you are attracted to Donald Trump for his policies as vague as they may be, um, you know, the policies that you believe he has. And if you are attracted to him um, in a grass in more of a grassroots alignment, I think that this is not going to shake your vote for him whatsoever. And I think those are even some of the people who are going to come out and defend him. Mm-hmm. Um, well-known, educated women um, who have lots of influence and power in the grassroots level. They will and come Sergio- out and defend him. Yeah. Sergio Um, Bustos, uh, senior editor with Politico. What would you say, what political calculations would you say state GOP party leaders are making about this impact on down-ballot races right now? Well, I think they're following the lead of uh, the National Party in uh, in telling everyone um, that they're on their own to a certain extent, to fight their own fight in their own congressional district. You played that clip of David Jolly. I think that's a perfect example. Uh, he's in a left-leaning, uh, a Democratic, Democratic-leaning, I should say, district up against former Governor Charlie Crist. And so he's got to, again, uh, show that he can kind of distance himself from Trump. Um the same thing down here in South Florida with the clip you showed of Carlos Corbello. Those are just uh, excellent examples of how each and every candidate, be it uh, a Marco Rubio, be it a congressional candidate, even under the state house races, uh, folks are trying to keep a certain distance from Trump, depending on where they live and how their uh, constituents are, would react. 
David, sure. it, and it, it's, it's curious to hear um, uh, Sergio talk about certainly the geography and the demographics, Alex talking to some degree about the policy uh, in the presidential campaign. Um, what are you hearing and seeing in northeast Florida? Again, stronghold for Trump, stronghold for Republicans. As you said, probably be a mistake for Senator Rubio, for instance, to uh, turn his back on his uh, Trump vote for the uh, for the Northeast Florida Republicans. But what about the the, the the policy impact, if there is at all, or is it just a matter of of, of character and and the uh, allegations and innuendo and words? Well, I think the uh, when he talks about the uh, need to have strong borders, that is something that has been a perennial issue in congressional races. It's something that at the grassroots level Republicans talk about a lot. There's no doubt that that's a big policy issue here, and uh, people would like to see the changes that he's talked about take effect, by and large. Um, I am interested in how the uh, how the Duval County women's vote goes, because this is mm-hmm. a county where basically if uh, Hillary Clinton can get close to 50 percent, they view that as a win. So that's a real wild card, I think, this time in terms of how that's going to affect the final outcome in Duval County uh, in the presidential level. Not only that, uh, as you pointed out, David, uh, the top Republican office holders in, in North Florida, Mayor Lenny Curry, former Sheriff John Rutherford, who's now trying to run for Congress, uh, Lenny Curry emceed Donald Trump's rally in Jacksonville. Uh, former Sheriff Rutherford was one of a slew of office holders that stood with Trump at that rally. And we haven't seen any public statements about any of these politicians renouncing Donald Trump's comments in recent days. That's right. We haven't. And I think it's very much like the situation is in Naples, where there's uh, the congressional districts tend to be very skewed towards the Republican or the Democrats. So it's not a similar situation to uh, the David Jolly, Charlie Chris race, where there's really a, a balance of power in terms of the voters. Sergio, just a quick answer here. What about the impact on uh, outside money coming in? We know the Republican National Committee has been transferring some dollars to down-ballot races, including the U.S. Senate races. Well, the money coming into Florida has been staggering uh, just because of the presidential race. Um, So I don't think you're going to see any slowdown of money. Now, whether uh, someone like Marco Rubio, for instance, doesn't necessarily need it, he's been raising a ton of money on his own. He's still, remember, a very uh, strong incumbent who ran for president, and although he didn't make it, he did uh, round up a lot of donors from across the country. So I don't think money is going to be an issue. Uh, money for Senator mm-hmm. Rubio, certainly. Yeah. Right, for him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. money's always an issue when it comes to politics in a state like Florida. Melissa, we've got uh-huh. uh, a lot of phone calls to get to. We're going to get to those in just a moment. You can line up your uh, phone call at 305-995-1800. Comments on social media as well. Use the hashtag DecisionFlorida. Still to come, the Florida female voter and how she will help decide the winners in November. This is Decision Florida from Florida Public Radio. Support for Decision Florida comes from Nova Southeastern University's Shark Race to the White House, featuring two tagged research sharks with real-time tracking. More at nova.edu forward slash presidential race. Whether taking care of Holocaust survivors or at-risk youth, providing mental health services or delivering food to homebound seniors, Jewish Community Services of South Florida is creating healthy communities for everyone. JCS provides access to critical human services regardless of race, religion, age, or sexual orientation. JCS is an impact partner of United Way and a proud beneficiary agency of the Greater Miami Jewish Federation. To learn more, visit jcsfl.org. The ABLE Trust and its partners are committed to providing opportunities for successful employment to Floridians with disabilities. The ABLE Trust believes that hiring people with disabilities makes for a diverse and inclusive workforce, helping to empower Florida's economy. ABLETrust.org. From Florida Public Radio, this is Decision Florida. I'm Melissa Ross with WJCT in Jacksonville. And I'm Tom Hudson with WLRN in Miami. As we continue our conversation about the election, Donald Trump's troubles, and uh, women voters, we want your calls, 305-995-1800. 
Yeah, we want to hear from you because recent polling shows a massive gender gap in this presidential race. The website 538 found this week that if only men could vote in the election, Trump would win in a landslide. If only women could cast those ballots, Hillary Clinton would win, Tom, by an even bigger margin, even more electoral votes. We've seen those red maps and blue maps of the United States that uh, have been circulated around social media. So uh, how are women voters here in Florida reacting to the shocking news about Trump's conduct with women, the accusations that have been leveled against the Republican nominee? Evelyn Crosser and Marilyn Parmet attended Trump's rally on Thursday in Palm Beach County. Men talk a lot of nonsensical especially if they are among other men, and men like to brag about our sex. But I don't think uh, he's a dishonorable man. When I was a single girl, if you had my audio tapes and videotapes of what my girlfriends and I talked about in private, I would never be able to run for office, not even city council at Palm Beach Gardens. Now, Trump has denied claims that he sexually assaulted women and has blamed the attacks on a Democratic strategy to deflect attention away from leaked emails that came out this week from the Hillary Clinton Mm -hmm. campaign and her leaders. Right. That WikiLeaks uh, email dump. Now, we're going to continue our conversation on this as we stick with the TU's David Bauerlein, Sergio Bustos, senior editor with Politico, and from the Naples Daily News, Alexandra Glorioso. And Alexandra, you've been interviewing Republican women in southwest Florida. I read your piece about this and some of the comments of these women office holders and and Republican stalwarts. The women seem very conflicted as more women around the country continue to come forth with allegations of improper or even predatory behavior on the part of Mr. Trump. Uh, What was your sense of their dilemma in terms of this matter as we get so close to the election? I think we may have uh, lost. Yeah, I think we lost, lost Alexandra. Alex. Yeah, we'll try. That's to bring fine. Her back. Um, then Sergio Bustos, as we try to bring Alexandra back, let's talk about the Florida Atlantic poll that was conducted uh, last week, and this does cover some fallout from that Trump tape, that excess Hollywood tape here in Florida. Clinton leads Trump with Florida women fifty-one to forty-two. She leads Trump by uh, uh, with Florida men in the state by one point, and leads overall in Florida forty-nine to 43%. Uh, Now, as these allegations of groping and lewd comments continue to sort of permeate throughout the electorate, uh, do you see these numbers in Florida moving at all? Uh, We've seen Secretary Clinton leading leading Donald Trump in Florida by a few points for, for several weeks now. What is the impact of this latest round of scandal for Trump in Florida? Well, I think for the Trump campaign, it's it's a big it's a very big troubling problem for them, because uh, right now, as of this morning, more than 300,000 Floridians had already cast ballots, absentee ballots. Um, And I believe there's about two point seven million to three million mailed out. So a huge number of Floridians are already voting as this story, which is now a week old, is still in the news and has taken on uh, kind of uh, new angles with these women coming forward, including the woman you mentioned from Palm Beach. So the story is out there and uh, Floridians are voting. Let's go to the phones here on Decision Florida, 305-995-1800. We'll begin in Tampa with Joe. Joe, welcome to the program. Go ahead. Hi, thanks. Um, I just wanted to say, I think, whereas I think that everything that's going on with Donald Trump right now, as far as these allegations and what he said is horrible, I also think that it's taking us away and distracting us from what I believe is the actual true evil and true, um, true harm that can be done to America, which is Mike Pence. You know, Donald Trump, at the end of the day, if he's not elected president, will go back, do whatever he can do, as an entertainer or whatnot, we can choose to ignore him. Mike Pence has actually signed and put into, into work bills against the LGBT community, against women's rights, uh, against the poor, against many different things. He's actually been in a position of power. If he's one heartbeat away from the presidency, God knows what direction we're going to go in. Joe, we pr- appreciate the thoughts. It's mm-hmm. not so much the top of the ticket there, Melissa, for uh, Joe. It's, it's the running mate at the top of the ticket where he's concerned. Yeah, uh, David Bauerlein, certainly Mike Pence, uh, uh, an evangelical conservative, appeals to the conservative wing, uh, the, the social conservative wing of the Republican Party, 
Uh, at, now, that said, uh, Donald Trump's troubles with women voters, uh, is that throwing a little more light onto Mike Pence's traditional views on gender and women as well? I haven't seen that particular dynamic that much. Uh, I do think it's been interesting to see how that wing of the party has reacted in terms of being able to ask to defend the comments that were made. Uh, to the caller's question, I think one scenario I've heard about is that maybe Trump doesn't just leave the political scene. Maybe he stays around and becomes a continuing force in mm-hmm. politics that really does create a big uh, choice within the Republican Party about yeah. does it do his issues carry on and uh, or is it the Mike Pence type of view of the Republican Party that comes out of whatever the results whatever are the result is and uh, we want your thoughts as we take calls from all over the state this is decision florida and you can call in right now at 305-995-1800 let's go to barry and kendall hey barry good, uh, thanks for being with us you're on the air so, hello my question is real simple um if there's a big turnout in day broward and palm beach county for hillary and the democrats do you think that will uh go into the coattail effect and bring more Democrats like uh, Patrick Murphy to defeat Rubio, who I believe Rubio is a uh, turncoat and doesn't even believe in the Dream Act. I'll let you all talk about that. All right. Thanks, Barry. Uh, Sergio Bustos, certainly Democrats are outpacing Republicans in voter registration, and that deadline has been extended to next Tuesday. We'll, We'll talk about that in this hour. But uh, if there is a surge of Democrats voting, will that make a difference in that Senate race or not? Because uh, certainly Marco Rubio has much more prominent name recognition uh, and certainly has outstripped Patrick Murphy on the fundraising side, too. Now, you've called it just right there. Uh, Rubio does have uh, much better name recognition. I think the the other issue is that the Democratic Party, uh, the National Party, may have been premature in having pulled out money, ad money for Patrick Murphy, uh, because polls all summer uh, had been showing uh, Murphy trailing Rubio. They've tightened a bit, but by not pull, put, by not leaving money in, uh, they're leaving Murphy kind of out there to to, to kind of struggle in a, in a race where he does not have a lot of name recognition himself. And, and so they might come back with that money in these last couple of weeks. But at this point, the Democrats had pulled it out because polls had showed Rubio's uh, with, a, with a comfortable lead. Alexandra Glorioso, reporter for Naples Daily News in southwest Florida. I want you to address uh, the two points we've heard most recently here. One is uh, the evangelical wing of the Republican Party and how that has been playing in southwest Florida in the last week since the disclosure of the Trump tapes. Uh, and then um, for the Democrats who are in Southwest Florida, there are a few, uh, but whether or not they're feeling empowered at all in the last week because of what's happened and and potentially some of the down ticket implications. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, I don't know too much about the evangelicals in Southwest Florida, but what I do know is that, you know, the grassroots organizers in Southwest Florida and um, you know, people who come from the Tea Party movement and things like that, they are still polling really hard for Donald Trump. Um, but in terms of the evangelicals, I, you know, they haven't come out very much, and I haven't spoken them, to them that much, to be honest. As far as the Democrats, um, they, you know, they do seem to be slightly more empowered, but the Republican Party is just so strong in Southwest Florida that, um, you know, they don't have quite as much of a voice um, as the Republicans do in a place like um, Collier County, where I live and report our next, my time. And, and our next call is from uh, Southwest Florida, Naples. Uh, Kathy is joining Decision Florida. Kathy, go ahead. Your thoughts. Um, my thoughts are, and I'm not particularly a strong Christian or an evangelical, however, I do believe that the media is being quite biased on this uh, reporting. I believe that... Um, on some of the morning shows today, Mike Pence spoke, and he attempted to bring up the Bill Clinton, and the answer to that was that we've reported on that. You've also reported on this story quite some, yeah. to some length. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm just curious, like, what's the bias? Because the Bill Clinton story has been reported, has but been reported, not continue, and he's not on the ballot. He's, but, but he's, he's not, not on the but ballot, but he will be in the White House. Okay. 
okay? Mm. He will be in the White House. And then the other allegations about... But he will not be taking an oath of office, though. Correct. But Hillary you know, Clinton and you has- know, let me let me ask you this, uh, Kathy. Um, what would you say about the fact that there are uh, longstanding allegations uh, against former President Clinton when it comes to his behavior with women? That is, uh, those are accusations that have followed Bill Clinton for decades. Now, at the same time, in 2016, some 20, 25 years on from the Clinton presidency. We're having a national conversation about consent, about equality, about what it means to respect other human beings. And certainly, I think the culture has moved forward quite a bit since the 90s when we talk about these issues and we talk about what we expect out of the person who occupies the Oval Office. What are your thoughts about that? Well, I don't think that... Uh, still condones what was done. I don't think we can say because it happened so many years ago that now we can forgive that. It happened in the Oval Office, as you know, and it is proven that it happened. I mean, there was actual proof. And, you know, I think it's just being kind of put under the rug, and while this one's being Mm -hmm. talked and talked and talked about, in order to... So, you know, know, I mean, we we certainly remember the Ken Starr investigation, the the hearings in the House. All of this goes back to the 1997, 1998. Um, You know, Kathy, I understand what you're saying, and I think if you look at the volume of coverage of President Clinton's uh, uh, perjury, uh, which uh, was brought to light because of the actions that he took in the Oval Office and the amount of coverage that the Trump tapes have received in the last week, uh, I think you would find that the Clinton coverage, uh, in hindsight, we've certainly had seen a, a much larger volume of it. And once we let the same amount of time pass after the Trump tapes is when we'll be able to judge whether or not the media presented them even-handedly. Correct. But this is the time when the stakes need to be even. Yeah. And not later on. Kathy, and, I, and I would appreciate, you know, if the media would be less biased. Kathy, we appreciate well, the phone call. Thanks for the call, call yeah. Kathy. Let's go yeah. to uh, Margate, where Veronica is on the line. And Veronica describes herself as a registered Democrat voting for Donald Trump. Veronica, welcome to the program. Thank you. Um, that is what I wanted to say. I am a registered Democrat. I am voting for Trump. I'm going to vote Republican all the way down the ticket because he's got to have the House and Congress behind him in order to get anything done. And I've been watching Hillary Clinton since 1964 when she was a proud Goldwater girl. (laughs) I wouldn't trust her with a dog's lunch behind a glass door. Veronica, we appreciate the uh, clarity of your uh, conviction there. <laughs> Joining us, and, here. And, uh, and uh, as if we needed any reminding, uh, Sergio, uh, people are dug in on their positions. And when you look at Florida and that I four corridor, the Tampa uh, metropolitan area, those few areas where there's room for these candidates to gain a little more ground. Uh, three weeks out, uh, it, it, of course, we're going to have to wait till election night, but. Uh, that slice of undecided voters in this state uh, is as as slim as ever. Yeah, and what's amazing about this campaign is uh, here it is such a short time away from uh, going to vote in person, although, like I said, uh, people are already voting in Florida. You have a, a presidential campaign that uh, on the one side, there's a Republican candidate who's um, um, – allegations of uh, sexual aggressiveness, assault in some cases are talking about, is being talked about and, and, and aired out. And on the other side, you have a Democratic uh, candidate's spouse who happens to be a former president. His uh, sexual picadillos and uh, sexual aggressions are also being discussed. Uh, and I think it all leads to a very disgusted and uh, tired electorate and the question is, will people even turn out to vote uh, come uh, November 8th? Uh, big question for Florida here. You are listening to Decision Florida from WLRN Miami. This is Florida Public Radio. Let's go back to the phone calls, 305-995-1800, from the peninsula to the panhandle. Louisa from Orlando, welcome to the program. Go ahead, you're on the air. Hi. Um, I just wanted to say that I'm actually a 25-year-old uh, female uh, voting Democrat, Um but that's not the reason for why I think candidate, I mean, that Donald is a terrible candidate. Um, 
he was vulgar, it was obvious, he was filmed. It just seems like he can get away with everything. And if you're going to compare both candidates, it's just really obvious that Hillary has the experience, the strength, and the confidence to make a really great president. Now, I know not everyone agrees with that because both candidates have been shown to have really controversial things occur um, during the past few months, but just how vulgar Trump was, just for him to be a candidate for presidency is just embarrassing um, for my generation and I think just for the whole country. All right. Thanks for that. David Barreline, uh, her comments, I think uh, a lot of women are making and men are, are, are saying they're turned off by the vulgarity that has been on display as we try to digest not only what was in the video, but what other women have come forward with in the last few days. Well, and this has been unfolding for months in terms of covering the Trump campaign. I remember when he first came to Jacksonville last year, he used some words in his speech that I went back to the editor and said, can I use these words in the paper? And now it's like you wouldn't give a second thought because the there has been a definite coarsening of it. And I think there is a visceral reaction a lot of people have to what Trump says, the language he uses, the language they've heard them use. You cannot underestimate the impact that has at the ballot box when people go in. At the same time, uh, Tom, Sergio and Alexandra, uh, fans of Donald Trump say, we don't mind coarse talk. We that that as the earlier caller said, the media is making too much out of this. Uh, Alexandra. Yeah, I think that when it comes down to who minds the way that Donald Trump talks and who doesn't, it really depends on how much those people back Donald Trump since the beginning. Um, A lot of Republicans did not pick Donald Trump in the primary. They did not endorse him. And um, a lot of Republican elected officials, you mean, Alex, right? Yeah, Yeah. elected officials and also uh, voters. I mean, Naples, where I live and work, is a very um, highfalutin area. And (laughs) these are well-educated and very powerful people in their own industries. Um, And so they were just coming around to Donald Trump. And so I think that that kind of of language is prone to turn them off. Um, As I've said, I think the grassroots people who have either come from conservative uh, are, you know, were once conservative Democrats or have joined politics for maybe the first time or came out of the Tea Party movement. They don't mind what Donald Trump says. Donald Trump being an agent of change is really the overriding principle for them. Alex Glorioso, reporter, joining us from our sister station, WGCU in Fort Myer. Uh, Alex writes, for Naples Daily News. Still to come, the politics of disaster relief funding post-Matthew. That's next. This is Decision Florida. Zika fears, widening income disparity, and the possibility of higher interest rates. How is South Florida's economy holding up? I'm Tom Hudson. Join us Monday morning at 9 for the Sunshine Economy. We talk with top Federal Reserve officials. The program is made possible by Kaufman Rawson. WLRN and Miami Book Fair want you to help us celebrate South Florida by telling us a story. A short story. A very short story. In just six words, write a story inspired by South Florida. Maybe it's about escape or freedom, family or food. It could get you invited to read at the fair in November. Share your six-word story in English, Spanish, or Creole at wlrn.org slash sixwordsmiami or tweet us at wlrn using the hashtag sixwordsmiami. With a 93-year reputation for creating students of both character and knowledge, the Cushman School is opening a brand-new high school in the Upper East Side of Miami. On Thursday, October 20th, between 6.30 and 8.30 p.m., Cushman High will hold their first open house. Parents with students who will be entering 9th or 10th grade are invited to see firsthand Cushman High's dedication to creating the kinds of students universities are looking for. More information is available at cushmanschool.org. Hanley Center at Origins pioneered addiction treatment for baby boomers and older adults. A community partner for over 30 years, Hanley Center at Origins provides nationally acclaimed addiction treatment and accepts insurance. More at OriginsRecovery.com or 844-3-HANLEY. From WLRN Public Media in Miami and Florida Public Radio, this is Decision Florida. I'm Tom Hudson. And I'm Melissa Ross with WJCT in Jacksonville. Well, it's been one week since Hurricane Matthew scraped along Florida's east coast. 
bringing rain, winds, and storm surge. And Tom, while we didn't get the worst math you had to offer, more than one million customers lost power in the state. Thousands suffered property damage up to the hundreds of millions of dollars. Now, are you looking for financial help after that storm? Was your home or business damaged by Matthew or maybe Hurricane Hermine earlier this season? Give us a call and share your stories with us. It's 305-995-1800. And use that hashtag on social media, Decision Florida. Talking about the politics of disaster relief funding here now, Melissa, federal and state agencies continue to assess the damage from Matthew with the worst of it in Volusia County, home to Daytona Beach. We'll begin our reporting with WMFE's Amy Green. Beaches in central and north Florida sustained the worst damage. In Flagler County, a stretch of A1A collapsed. In St. John's County, a new inlet was carved out of the shoreline. Jackie Kaiser of the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers says the damage is significant considering the economic boost beaches give to tourism and property values. We're looking you know, on the order of, um, just in Florida, $100 million to potentially $300 million to put that sand back. Amy Green in Orlando. I'm Renata Sago. A large wind chime sways back and forth on Sue Keating's porch, bringing calm after the hurricane damaged her four-bedroom, three-bath just blocks from the beach. I was really wondering if we'd have a house. In 30 years of living in Daytona Beach, Keating has seen her share of hurricanes. She's always stayed at home, sometimes without losing power, but warning after warning from the governor and the news made her think differently this time. She left home with a Bible, some important papers, and family photos to spend the night in a hospital where her husband Gerard was having surgery. I'm Abe Abariah. Ken McLaughlin thought his yellow satellite beach home was going to hold up just fine through Hurricane Matthew. It's a block house with hurricane shutters, and Ken said it was rock solid when they evacuated the barrier island to the mainland. Thought it was going to be perfect. Turns out a power line went down on the roof. The city shut down water to this barrier island, so fire crews were near helpless to put out the blaze. They did manage to keep the neighbors' homes from catching fire. The whole thing's gone. We just had the first insurance adjuster here. It's a total loss. We lost everything. And with us now, James Rosen of McClatchy in their D.C. Bureau, Sergio Bustos, senior editor with Politico, and David Bauerlein of the Florida Times Union. James Rosen of McClatchy, let's start with you. The federal government okayed Governor Scott's request for a major disaster declaration, but no federal funding for individual assistance has been okayed. Is that correct? Uh, That's correct. So tell us, bring us up to date on what Florida's status is on getting some disaster relief and how have previous requests been handled? Well, you know, I think this this issue is a measure of how things have changed in Washington in recent years. Uh, for decades, these kinds of requests for disaster relief, uh, they just sailed through Congress very quickly, no partisan resistance. Uh, in fact, they were so uncontroversial that they often uh, were passed by voice votes. Uh, in other words, there were no roll call votes where each in, where each member of Congress had to say yay or nay. Uh, but this uh, this has changed in recent years, uh, and there were a couple uh, storms that got a lot of coverage in 2011 and 2012, where this started to become a political issue. It, it, James Rosen, it's Tom Hudson. What changed, though? The politics on Capitol Hill had to be what changed, because the natural disasters hasn't changed, and if anything, the costs just continue to go up for these disasters. Right. So so here's what, here's what changed. In October of 2011, uh, tropical storm Lee, which you might remember in Louisiana, it was a near hurricane force storm, uh, caused enormous damage in Louisiana along the Gulf Coast, and uh, they tra- they wanted uh, officials there wanted 6.9 billion dollars in federal disaster relief. Fiscal conservatives in the House of Representatives demanded uh, that that aid be offset offset by. Uh, cuts in other programs. And uh, they weren't successful, but that was the first time in a big way uh, regarding a large amount of money that that Mm -hmm. that attempt had been made. And one of the things, there's two things that's remarkable about that. Uh, Senator Mary Landro, she was then Democratic senator from Louisiana, she warned uh, other senators she said, you know, if you if you vote now to require an offset to this aid, uh, when the next storm hits your state, uh, be prepared to hear that, you know, uh, we're sorry we can't help you. And and perhaps most remarkably, 
uh, all of Louisiana's six Republican House members voted to require the spending cuts to offset aid for their own state. Mm-hmm. It passed the House, but it was defeated in the Senate, which um, which was then controlled by Democrats. And then the next year, I'll just quickly uh, bring up a more famous storm, Hurricane Sandy. Uh, uh, they were trying to approve $50 billion in emergency relief. Uh, this storm killed 233 people, United States, Haiti, other Caribbean nations. And a, a fairly new uh, uh, Tea Party-allied uh, Republican congressman from South Carolina, who I covered, Mick Mulvaney, um, led an effort to uh, require a House vote to offset uh, you know, the cost of that aid. And they lost, uh, but 162 uh, Republicans voted for offsetting those costs. And so that kind of set a new, that, that set a new marker. Yeah. Sergio Bustos with Politico. We're also seeing a funding fight over Zika uh, in this state. Congress dragged out that funding request, didn't okay the money till September. And even then it wasn't for as much as the White House had requested. Now, on Thursday, Governor Scott announced we have a new Zika zone in Miami, and he said it underscores the urgent need for federal funding to combat the Zika virus. The politics of this, when you're looking at public health, your thoughts? Well, this fight began, gosh, last spring. It was incredible. Uh, You know, certain states, especially Florida, have been asking for this federal money. Um, Congress adjourned for the summer, went home, uh, and they only finally passed a bill, you know, in recent weeks. And I think all of that's now been overshadowed by by the politics in Florida, given uh, the Trump-Clinton race. Uh, but all in all, the, the money also has to flow quickly. And that was the idea last spring. So you could imagine yeah. three, four months delay is only causing more problems for the folks down here. And as you mentioned, this new zone that emerged uh, only adds to that headache for uh, folks in Miami-Dade County. In fact, when Governor Scott announced the new Zika zone on the mainland in Miami, it was coupled with a plea for federal dollars. It wasn't just an announcement from the Department of Health about public health. It was it was essentially embedded into uh, Governor Scott's request for money, saying that Florida has not yet received a dime of the uh, of the financial package that was approved by Congress. So James Rosen from McClatchy, uh, is this a new front opening up in this uh, politicalization of disaster relief? It had been focused on natural disasters, tropical storms, hurricanes and whatnot. Now we got public health embedded in this. Yeah, I think it is a new front. I think, you know, the, these two, these issues are, are closely related. They're both... Um, uh, you know, they're both for public emergencies. This, in some ways, this ties back to, uh, believe it or not, it, there's a connection with uh, the Iraq War and the Afghanistan War. And uh, it, it's not an obvious connection, but President Bush uh, funded those wars through what were called emergency yeah. supplemental bills. While also having uh, tax cuts at the same time. Yes, while having tax cuts. and he And he did that because... Uh, you know, he he felt and uh, that if they were if it was designated as emergency funding, it was harder to defeat. And it was the first time that war funding, war funding had ever uh, been outside the Pentagon budget and, and, and described as emergency supplemental funding. And so 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 there's um, the reason I bring that up is that that cast a certain suspicion around uh, emergency funding uh, requests that had not uh, been there before. Mm-hmm. A second thing I would um, I would bring up is, and, and I, I don't want to get into any sort of partisan uh, argument here, but uh, Governor Rick Scott is is well known nationally and in and in Washington, and he has allies in Washington who mainly among the kind of extreme fiscal uh, conservatives and some of the Tea Party folks, but he's known as being you know, very, very aggressively anti-federal spending in general. Well, and well so, Florida is one of the states, Melissa, of course, that has not expanded uh, Medicaid funding and that's is the right. largest and participant in Obamacare because of that's it. That's right. Yeah. And, and and certainly with the governor's stance on federal spending, uh, perhaps that is contributing somewhat to the tension between the governor's office and some of the officials in Washington. But in the meantime, when we look at the damage from Hurricane Matthew, Total damage in the state, David Bauer line, $562 million, $490 million of that was in Volusia County alone. Let's talk about the damage from this storm and the need for federal assistance 
in the northeastern part of the state, which is where the bulk of the the suffering has seemed to be centered? Yeah, a lot of it is going to be just the cost to clean up. Uh, that's a huge amount of it. Uh, obviously, the emergency preparations that went into place when they were evacuating people, uh, it's a huge bill. I think the way it works is the federal government will pay up to 75%. So if that's the formula, then you're still going to cost uh, local taxpayers a good chunk of money to be able to recover from the storm. And of course, not everybody wants those their tax dollars to go to storm recovery. Uh, some of the action on social media here, Melissa, uh, using the hashtag Decision Florida, quote, leave the beaches alone. Nature has spoken. Those who live in the ocean mm-hmm. know the risk they take to live there. I think it was near the ocean, not in the ocean, although <laughs> a week ago it was in the ocean. Uh, the uh, poster also says hotels, too. <laughs> So, you know, yeah. there is that uh, impression out there when you uh, when you live on the coast, you take those uh, you take those risks. Yeah. Uh, Sergio Bustos, too. And when you look at the uh, future projections for insurers in Florida, as we can expect with warming seas, climatologists say to see more of these intense storms. Uh, what are your thoughts about that? Uh, this growing sentiment that if you build at the coast, you're you need to know the risk. Well, you know, last Monday, uh, Hillary Clinton brought a guy named Al Gore, very familiar to Florida voters, uh, in for a speech, and the topic was climate change. So politically, they they pounced on Hurricane Matthew because it it, it really impacted the entire Florida uh, eastern seaboard there, or the eastern coast, I should say. So it, it's it's going to be it's become a topic uh, for the presidential campaign. And it's not going to go away for, for years to come. 305-995-1800 from the peninsula to the panhandle. Disaster relief funding in the state of Florida. We have uh, been hit by two hurricanes, the first time in uh, 11 years. We went a string of 11 years with no hurricanes in the Sunshine State. What about uh, the politicalization of federal aid coming into Florida to help make these communities whole again? 305-995-1800 or on social media, use the hashtag DecisionFlorida. You are listening to Decision Florida from WLRN Miami. This is Florida Public Radio. Let's go to Louis on uh, line four, joining us from uh, the Orlando area. Louis, welcome to the program. Go ahead. Yeah, hey, I'm in, I'm in uh, you know, a rural part of Seminole County. Um, I work for a large telephone company, working a lot of hours now in the hurricane restoration. And I just, I'm, I, you know, I'm personally an atheist, and I just think it's, it's, it's abominable that the far-right, conservative evangelical Republicans are the ones pushing to cut off aid for people in need. What about Texas when they have a drought because of global warming? So now we're going to cut off aid for the farmers in Texas because their cattle are dying or they need to have, you know, extra water sources. I mean, we can play this game in every state, blizzards up in Minnesota. So I do agree that you take some responsibility living on the coast, but a lot of the people uh, that live on the coast are living in trailer parks. You'd be surprised how many people that live five miles from the coast are not wealthy. You know, they don't have insurance. And they and they need help just even if you wanted to move them away. Say, okay, you can't come back. We're going to help you get on your feet 20 miles inland. I just think that they're, they're so hypocritical. When you talk about the ones in Louisiana, I, I nearly choked and drove off the road because I was like, here they're voting against their home state. Well, that's why they have a, a Democratic governor now. Because they're, they're getting tired of that kind of evangelical bluster. And I just, I just think there's a lot of politics involved, but people have to pay attention. And obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm a Bernie supporter, so I definitely believe government has a role to play to make our lives better, not worse. Thank you for that. That's uh, Louie near Orlando. James Rosen, uh, a little bit earlier in the program, you were talking about this changing reality uh, in Washington where uh, disaster funding was just automatic, and now... Uh, we see the, these factional spats break out uh, uh, and arguments over which disaster is bad enough or, or severe enough to, to warrant a massive amount of federal assistance. Right. And it's it's really become a, a distressingly toxic situation. You know, if you look at the Zika aid, uh, President Obama asked for $1.9 billion. Seven months later, uh, $1.1 billion was finally approved. But that aid is part of a much larger uh, appropriations bill that funds large parts of the government called a continuing resolution. And after the Zika portion of it was finally settled, other issues further delayed uh, that bill. And you had really extraordinarily bitter exchanges 
uh, on the House floor and on the Senate floor. And, and just to give you uh, an example, um, it turned out that the uh, the lawmakers were requiring spending offsets, spending cuts elsewhere, in order to provide $170 million in aid to the city of Flint, which has had contaminated water from lead pipes. Mm-hmm. But they were not they were not requiring offset spending cuts for I believe it was five hundred million dollars for Louisiana the flooding in Louisiana. And the um Senator Stabenow from Michigan got on the Senate floor and gave a very bitter speech about the fact that Louisiana gets all this money without requiring offsets, whereas her state and her city of Flint they had they were trying to find programs to cut. And so, there, you know, it, it creates, it, it pits one region against the other. It pits lawmakers, sometimes even from the same party against the other. But it all stems from this kind of Tea Party driven uh, uh, push to cut government spending. Sergio, just less than a minute. It's it's a zero sum game. It's if uh, if Flint wins, then Pensacola loses. If, uh, you know, if, if California and drought wins, then uh, Jacksonville and Volusia County loses. He to add to the cynicism, but I think part of it's driven by the fact that uh, the bill James is talking about was what they called an omnibus bill or a, a huge, it's, it's like a massive bill all in one. So they throw all the goodies in one bag and then they make all the voters, uh, all the lawmakers vote it all at once. I think if they vote on them separately, it might make for an easier time. It's a <laughs> legislative hunger game of some kind is what that sounds, sounds <laughs> That's a good like. description try, for it. Oh, they that hurts, to Tom. That, that's, uh, oh, we, we've, yeah. uh, we've got to leave it there, uh, folks. Uh, big thanks to our guests here this week. Uh, Sergio Busto, senior editor, joining us via Skype from Politico. James Rosen, thank you for your insights from Capitol Hill, where he uh, covers it for uh, the McClatchy Papers. And David Bauerlein with uh, Florida Times Union with us in Jacksonville as well. Thanks to all three of you. And that's our program for today. We invite you to join us on social media. Share your experience this political season with us. Use the hashtag DecisionFlorida or download a podcast of this program at iTunes. Just search Decision Florida. Decision Florida is produced by WLRN Public Media in Miami by Julia Duba. Polly Landis is our booking producer. Rebecca Entralgo is our phone screener. And Jason Zabka, our technical director. With engineering help from Charles Michaels and Doug Peterson, WLRN's program director is Peter Mertz. We also received production help this week from WJCT in Jacksonville, WGCU in Fort Myers, and WMFE in Orlando. I'm Melissa Ross. And I'm Tom Hudson. This special program from Florida Public Radio has been a presentation of WLRN Public Media in Miami. Thanks for listening.